name is Isabella. When I got saved, before I got saved, I kind of had a tough life. In first grade, I started stealing candy with other girls in my class. And I was getting in trouble in a lot in um, kindergarten. But as I got uh, through the grades, about middle of third grade, I decided I really need to be saved. In, I think it was second grade, I decided I wanted to be saved, but I guess I wasn't completely saved. So I asked my papa and my nana to pray with me. And now I'm in God's family again. Uh, isn't that precious? <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, I, I, are her grandparents out here? I saw them wave out. I know they're, they're here serving. Uh, love it. Love it, grandparents. It's awesome. Uh, so, uh, Isabella, thank you for that. Um, how sweet, right? How precious is that? Uh, but how courageous. How courageous. Now, she has a lot to learn in her spiritual journey, right? But I want to say this. We have a lot we can learn from her. Amen? Amen. We have a lot that we can learn from children. And our message today, it's going to start with that. Learning something from children. So you turn to Luke 18. And we are in our series, Faces in the Crowd, Encounters with Jesus. People who encounter Jesus and what we can learn from that experience and apply to our lives. And in Luke 18, starting in verse 15, we're going to see that it starts with Jesus with children. Let me pray. Father God, we love you. And I pray that you would speak to us through your word. I pray we'd open our hearts, our minds, and our lives to what you have to say to us this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Luke 18, verse 15 through 17. It's the setting, the scene that starts this encounter we're going to look at today. And it's Jesus. And the parents are bringing children of all ages. And the account that we're going to look at is actually told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We'll be in Luke, but I'm going to draw from details from the other account. So it's children of all ages being brought to Jesus, and he's blessing them, touching them. And the disciples see this, and, and I believe it's because they're worried about him being tired because he's only about a week away from arriving in Jerusalem, the crucifixion, right? And he's tired. He's been ministering hard. But Jesus says, no. No, don't rebuke these children. Don't tell them to get away from me. Because he says they're an example. They belong in the kingdom of God. They are significant. But they're also an example of how to receive the kingdom of God. They're an example on how to experience the kingdom of God. 
And we see in this interaction that played out what it means to receive and experience the kingdom of God. There's a witness to this scene. It's a young ruler. And he sees this. And it puts him on a path, on a collision course, with the one thing that is preventing him from having that same experience. Let's find out what that one thing is. I'm going to read, starting in verse 18, Luke 18, 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandment, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Now, as this Young ruler witnesses this scene with the children and Jesus. Undoubtedly, he asked himself the right question. He asked himself the right question as he sees this interaction and that connection. He asked, am I experiencing all that God has for me? Am I experiencing all that God has for me? You see, he was moved by this scene. These kids interacted with Jesus. He says, I want what they have. And again, look at this scene. I don't know what it fully is about what he sees, but he is just moved to his core. Have you ever witnessed anything that just moved you, deeply moved you? Kind of a funny story, but I was moved. Um, in college, I used to work as a concert security for rock concerts. And so uh, one concert I was working was in a, a boy band 
named New Kids on the Block. <laughs> I wasn't a boy band fan, just so you know. There they are, okay? Um, the New Kids on the Block. And I was working backstage, and so I was guarding their dressing room. Uh, and someone wheels in uh, a girl in a wheelchair, probably for Make-A-Wish Foundation, to meet this uh, super famous boy band. Every little girl loved New Kids on the Block, right? Um, so she wheels in, and she is severely handicapped, severely deformed. And I'm sitting there. She's over there waiting for him. And out files the new kids on the block to, to greet her. One by one, I watched them. Barely acknowledge her. Walk by with a light hello. The last person to come out is Donnie. Donnie is the one with the skull and crossbones there. He's the bad boy of the new kids. Probably, I wasn't a fan of the band, but I really wasn't a fan of Donnie Wahlberg, okay? Uh, so I'm sitting there. Donnie walks out, and he stops. He puts his hands on this girl. He starts talking. He looks in her eye. He kneels down, puts both of his hands. I mean, he's like, literally almost in the wheelchair with her and, and talking to her and speaking to her. I see this girl for the first time kind of light up. A smile come across her face and he's pouring into her. And I'm sitting there, not a believer at the time, um, but I'm thinking, I want to be like Donnie. <laughs> in this moment, I want a heart like that. Wow. There's a scene this last week that has drawn me. And that is the women in our church. They attended a conference, the IF concert last week. Debbie came up and she shared about it. And man, they are radiant with passion for God. I'm saying, I want that. I want that. That's amazing. My wife was on fire. Just before the service, someone pulled me aside and, and a woman spoke to me about this. I want what they have. That's what this young ruler was feeling, what he's asking himself. And that led him to run. As Jesus was leaving the scene with the children, he runs, Matthew tells us, and falls on his feet before Jesus. And he asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 18, what must I do to inherit eternal life. He says, I want in. I want in the kingdom of God. See, the topic in this encounter is the kingdom of God. What the kingdom of God is, is a life with God now and forever. It's the whole package. He says, I want in to that life. I want more than I am experiencing in my relationship with God. You can tell by this encounter that this is a, quote, quote, faithful Jew, probably a ruler in the synagogue. I want more. I want all that God has for me. I'm curious. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Am I getting all that God has for me? 
Have you ever asked him for more? I want more of you. I want all of you. That's what he asked. He asked Jesus that. And Jesus responds with a question. Because when the young ruler approached Jesus, he addressed him as good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? For a Jew, there was only one good teacher. No rabbi was a good teacher. Only God is a good teacher. So Jesus' point is, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. What he's saying is, this question you have, only God can answer. And you've come to the right person. You've come to the right person. So Jesus uses this. And now he answers him. He answers him with a, a challenging answer. He says, go back to the basics. Go back to the basics. Now, if you want to champion anything, it will always start with the basics, the fundamentals. I learned this when I was a high school football coach. We wanted to be champions. Wanted to be the best. So I said, okay, team, we're going to go watch the best, the best football, football team in the world, the Seattle Seahawks. Do I get an amen? Come on. <laughs> so I took my high school team, and I went to the Seahawks football practice. And there we stood on the sidelines, and we all eagerly watched. You know what we saw? We watched this football team who would win the Super Bowl doing what? The fundamentals. The basics. We're all looking at you like, what? We do that drill. We do that. We do that. They're doing the exact same things we do. In fact, the things we did in peewee football. The basics. The fundamentals. And that is what Jesus that's how he's going to answer him. It's about the fundamentals. So in verse 20, Jesus sets up his answer. He says this, you know the basics. The basics for the Jews were the Ten Commandments. Right? And he says he's going to walk him into his challenging answer. He says, you have to get back to the basics. You know them. And he starts with the second half. The second half of the commandments. The love your neighbor is yourself section. He says, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not lie. Honor your father and your mother. He leaves one out. Do not covet. And as this message goes, you'll understand why. It makes some sense. The young ruler, he says, success. I've done all these things since I was a youth. All my life I've done those things. 
And Jesus uses that setup to kind of land his challenging answer. So he answers him in the way of a challenge to reveal his point. Verse 22. He says, looks at him. He's going to give this answer. And Mark's account says, looking at him, he loved him. So before he gave him this challenging answer, says he loved him. Why? Why does it say that? Because here's what I believe. He knew how he was going to answer. And it broke his heart. He knew that he had better for him than he was experiencing. And it broke his heart how he knew he was going to answer. So he looked at him. He loved him. And he stepped in to give him the answer to his question. He says, you want all that I have for you? There's one thing you still lack. There's one thing that you still lack. Imagine that if you're just one thing away. He's probably, yes, one thing, woo, I got this. Because I'm killing the first, second half. There's one thing you lack. Go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. And follow me. So if you do this, you will have all that I have for you. What he's saying is, go and live the first half of the basics of the Ten Commandments. To love your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Go live the first half out. Go live out the absolute basics, the starting point of our walk with Jesus. And that's this. Trust. Jesus' answer to his question is trust me. Put me before all things. Trust me. Trust me with all that you have. And then you'll have everything that I have for you. I was thinking about that old hymn. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to what? Be happy in Jesus. <laughs> Trust and obey. Trust me. And then you'll have all that I have for you. Trust. How are you doing? Do you trust him? Do you trust him with everything you have? That's his answer. That's his challenging answer is to trust me. Verse 23. The young ruler, he reacts to this. It becomes very sad. Broken. And walks away. Because it says he is very rich. I love that. He's very sad because he's very rich. Because he's very attached. He's very attached. His heart is attached 
to these things. It reminds me of Pastor Pat's uh, teaching last week when he took us to Revelation 2.4. And in there you see Jesus talking about somebody's first love they had for Jesus dwindling, getting less. And that's what happened to this young ruler. His love for God had dwindled to a place it was replaced with the love of things. His heart attached to his wealth. And Jesus emphasizes what they're learning there because the disciples are with him. They're listening. They're watching this. He says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. So he's talking in hyperbole, right? A big statement to make a point. And what his point is, and what, what he wants them to know, what we need to know, is if you put your trust in this world and yourself, you will not experience everything that God has for you. You hear that? If you put your trust in this world or yourself, you will not experience everything that God has for you. That is his point. So how do we respond? How do we respond to this encounter? Well, I'd say this. We respond exactly how the disciples did in verses 26 through 30. They responded by realizing and learning of the reward that God had for them. So it starts with you realizing your reward. In verse 26, as they're listening to this, they say this is, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? Who can enter into the kingdom of God? Who can live in the kingdom of God? And the point is this, as we look at this scene unfold, we all have one thing that is getting in the way of us experiencing all that God has for us in his kingdom of growing and maturing in our faith. We all have one thing. Who can enter in? Many people have a one thing that is preventing them from entering into the kingdom of God, taking that first step of trusting and receiving Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. We all have one thing keeping us from getting all that God has for us. So what is Jesus' answer for this? Verse 27, he says this. He says, what is impossible for man is possible for God. What is impossible for man is possible for God. What he's saying is, trust me. Trust me. You know, as we look at the one thing, you know, in my experience in church, I've seen a lot of people's one thing. I've experienced my own one things that God wanted me to mature and grow in. Some of these might be yours. I've seen people that their one thing that they're struggling trusting God with is money. 
Very common. They trusted God. Less and less as they got older and older because they wanted things. They wanted the security of the world. And they lost trust in God. I've seen people, and yours might be, health. I've watched people get a diagnosis or know somebody who got a diagnosis and walk away from the faith because the outcome did not land where they thought it should. They didn't trust God and his will and his plan. I watched relationships. People's one thing be relationship. I saw them. A lady, I was one of the kids I was coaching in football. I mean, I've known him for 10 years. I worked in a church. I was volunteering as a football coach. Knew him well. I was talking to her one day, and she tells me that she used to be the Sunday school coordinator at the church that I used to work in. Like, whoa. So what happened? She says this. They would give out a pen to recognize someone's years of service at the church. She says, they forgot my 10-year pen. And I was waiting. What? That was it. That was her one thing. She walked away. She walked away from the church, the faith. I knew her. Never heard her talk about Jesus Christ, God, nothing. Her kids did not grow up in the church and around that. This one thing, a 10-year pen, was her one thing. I watched people wanting to be accepted in the community, not trust God's teaching, his ways, and say, no, I want to be accepted. I want to be with everybody. So they stop trusting what God has to say about lifestyle and say, nope, I'm going over here. I'm going to trust this more than God. Lifestyle choices, right? People not trusting God for his fulfillment it becomes the one thing that says, no, can't do it God's way. What is your one thing? What is the one thing that you're struggling with that is preventing you from getting all that God has for you? What is impossible for man is possible for God. He says, trust that my ways are better than yours. Isaiah 55. Trust that one day in his courts are better than a thousand elsewhere. Psalm 84. Trust that I have a hope, a plan, a future for you. Jeremiah 29. Trust that I will care and provide for you. Matthew 6. Trust that I am doing a new work, making all things new, and I will create in you a new heart and a clean heart, Psalm 51. And when we trust him and we understand we have one thing and we need to trust him, then we will realize the reward. Peter says to him in verse 27, we have trusted you. And Jesus says this, I am faithful. I am trustworthy. If you trust me like you are, then you will receive many times over in this life and in the next. You will experience 
all that I have for you if you trust me. So as we finish off singing and just singing about God's trust, I want to invite you into a conversation with God. A conversation is, what is my one thing? You probably already know it. What is my one thing and why can't I trust you? Let this song be a prayer. If there's something in your daily life that is keeping you, preventing you from experiencing all that God has, the faith of a child, trust in him. Give it to him. Give it to him by faith. Say no more. I want more. I want all of you. And you might be here and you never trusted him as your Lord and Savior. It's about an eternal question of trust. Trust him. Trust him that he will forgive you of your sins, that his work on the cross will forgive you of your sins, and it will give you an invitation to the kingdom of God now and forever with him in heaven. Trust him. Step out in faith and receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. So as we sing, make this song your prayer, your conversation. North Shore, I love you. Trust him like a child. God bless you.